Well, welcome to This Good Word, everybody, and hello, Sarah Bessie. Oh, I'm so glad to be here again, Steve. Man, the last time I saw your face was in Denver, though from far away and at uh, at the conference. And so, you know, I didn't get a chance to say hi to you. At least I don't think so. It was kind of a blur of a wonderful conference. It was um, definitely a blur. <laughs> evolving faith, yeah. Um, but I'm so looking forward to catching up and to talking about your new book, A Rhythm of Prayer, A Collections of Meditation for Renewal. Um, but first of all, just honestly, how are you these days? What a what a bizarre question. I don't know how to answer it, but maybe you do. Like, how are you in January of 2021? Um, that is always, well, I don't know when, how are you became such a loaded question. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm reminded of this uh, line from uh, Ella Montgomery, where she had for Anna Green Gables, where she said, I'm well in body, but considerably rumpled in spirit. <laughs> so that's I like that. fairly accurate, I think, for how most of us are right now. So yeah, we're doing okay. You know, we've yeah. um, we're in Western Canada, and um, we've weathered you know almost a year, or I think today might actually even be the year anniversary for you know quarantines and lockdowns, and yeah. you know a lot of us have had to transition work and kids and school and dealing with all of the other things that have kind of come along with this. But yeah, overall you know, we're, I can't complain. Well, that's good. And it is complex. I really don't know how to answer the question anymore. And I agree. I, I don't know when it became loaded. And I, I almost want to just say, well, you know, you know, and then like, <laughs> like move on to the, to the next thing. Almost as if like, how dare you ask me how I'm doing these days? I mean, don't you know, aren't you alive? Don't you, don't you have a clue about what's happening in the world? Anyway. Um, well, I so the book is lovely, and I love it because it has uh, prayers that you've written, but also just a lot of prayers from other folks that I love, Caitlin Curtis and Nadia Boltz-Weber and, um, and Misha Boyette and others. So um, just a real broad question, but like, how do you see prayer these days? Um, you know, I think that that question actually was part of what led me towards this book. Um, I think maybe given even because of the community of evolving faith and a lot of the work that you and I both get a chance to do. Um, it's been interesting to me that the further along we have kind of journeyed on this path, the more important prayer has become to me. Wow. And I think that that surprises people sometimes. Um, a lot of times I think the narrative that we hear is that, you know, if you, you know, tend to deconstruct or, you know, rethink your faith or your beliefs or, um, you know, kind of spend some time in the wilderness of wondering, you know, what is it that I really believe and what don't I, that in some ways you, you do leave a lot of things behind. And I yeah. think that that's a necessary and good good practice. Heaven knows, I think a lot of times you need to let go of a lot of things before you have room to begin to reimagine and, and pick up the things that, you know, God has for you now. And I think I was really surprised by reimagining prayer mm -hmm. and how deeply important it has become to me, um, not in spite of all of the things that have changed or all of the things that are going on in the world, yeah. I think, but because of it. 
um, I've never needed prayer more than in a in an apocalypse, which I yep. think is where we are right now. Yep. And so I think that that's where even the book came from. Um, I started working on this book the summer after uh, my friend Rachel Held Evans, who organized Evolving Faith with me. Um, she had passed away in May of 2019, and I just felt this really strong need for prayer, but also for the prayers of other women. Yeah. Um, I needed to relearn how to pray. I needed permission to bring my whole self to prayer. I needed um, everything from liturgy to imprecatory prayers, to meditation, mm -hmm. to silence, all the different ways that people pray um, or don't pray even to find myself in those spaces and re, um, almost, I want to say reimagine, but uh, re-enter almost yeah. um, the, the idea of prayer and the conversation of prayer with a sense of intention and welcome and permission. And um, I think even humanity, if that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I love how you said re-enter, you know, maybe there is a re reimagining, but when you said re-enter something in my spirit kind of sparked, you know, because mm -hmm. I think there, and there is, there is a feeling among many that as you, um, leave certain aspects of your faith that other things dissipate, you know, like believe in belief in Jesus or prayer or, and I, I don't, I, I thank you for saying that that's not necessarily true. It's, it's just that they change and deepen perhaps. So, um, I would love to re-enter it with you. And I think because for myself, I've found myself not knowing how to pray, having thoughtful, reflective, uh, resources like this is so helpful because when mm -hmm. I don't know how to pray, I, I, I pull out the book of common prayer or a poetry book or, you know, the blessed space between us by John O'Donohue or, or now recently your, your book since I've, since I've gotten it. Um, now I know Sarah that, and you've been public about a car accident you had maybe a year ago or so, and the long journey of, uh, recovery that you've had with it. How do you think that experience has shaped the putting together of this book and the writing of this book, if it has? Uh, it definitely has. It's actually, if you can even believe this, Steve, you're not going to, it's been four years. Oh my <laughs> God. Happened. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> of, well, right? of course, like for me, uh, oh, what has it been? Five minutes, a year, you know, but <laughs> no. for the person going through it, it's been four years. Yeah. Oh my God. How goodness. have you not kept track of every month of my life, Steve? <laughs> I'm so disappointed. <laughs> no, four years. That's amazing. I oh my know. gosh. That I does think that that's me part of what um i think you know the these are the kind of epoch moments or intersection moments where things change their thresholds yeah. right going back to you know what we were saying earlier about re-entry and for me i remember um losing prayer for the first time really really profoundly um about probably 17 or 18 years ago when we had a miscarriage and I had been, I mean, hopefully this doesn't scare off all the people who are listening, but I came, <laughs> I came of age in the prosperity gospel yeah, and in the word of faith movement, yeah. um, you know, which is adjacent to Pentecostalism. Yeah. And uh, so I learned to pray like an overcomer. 
I learned to pray by shouting Bible verses at the yes. sky and calling it reminding God of their promises. Yes. You know? yes. <laughs> These things that I look back on now with, you know, a, a definitely a wry smile, you know, if, if not abject, you know, trauma. <laughs> but there... <laughs> But I remember losing prayer like that because I became part of that vast company of people who have unanswered prayers. Yeah. And so if I'm not praying for controlling outcomes, what's the what's the point of prayer? Right. What, yeah. What's the point of this? And so that I think was kind of my launching point for saying, you know, like you, like I need to relearn how to pray. I need to have my imagination expanded around prayer. And so then you find really good teachers like John O'Donohue or like mm -hmm. the Book of Common Prayer and liturgy. I think especially for a sloppy low church kid like me, <laughs> it's like, oh, people write prayers. Is that even Holy Spirit? I don't know if they Bible. So I, think oh, I for <laughs> sure did not believe like growing up, if you did a written prayer, you were not spiritual 100%. Totally. I mean, that, was, that was automatic. Yeah. And if you don't say Father God in just at least 17 times, <laughs> is the spirit even moving? You know, <laughs> and I just, I just, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I think that the accident and that re experience, that uh, new threshold again of learning to live with chronic illness, learning to reset my life, learning to um, reopen my heart to miracles again, learning that. It's not a matter of either or, but often a both and, that there's a totality and a, and a wholeness that exists within prayer that often surprises me. Um, and so, yeah, I think that a lot of those invitations continue to happen throughout our life where we continue to find thresholds of communion with God, of understanding ourselves and our place in the world. Uh, and prayer is, I think, just one more way that we do that. I love that. And you organize the book, uh, we've sort of referenced this, but not with these words, you organize the book in three sections, orientation, uh, disorientation, reorientation, which speaks to some of the thresholds. Um, for some people, that's those are completely familiar terms, they get exactly what you're saying. For other people, it might be uh, a new entry into understanding the evolve the evolving faith that we're all in. So could you uh, say some words about why you chose those three sections? You know, I think that I, I chose those three sections because they felt they felt really true to my experience of faith, but not in a linear way, right. if that makes sense. I yep. think a lot of times, I think, you know, especially because, um, you know, people will say, well, I'm not as far on the journey or I haven't progressed, you know, as far, yeah, which is yeah. language that kind of makes me feel a bit, a little bit itchy because yeah, yeah. it's, it's never like that. There's always this sense of, of stepping out and returning, stepping out and returning, um, having new eyes to see the place where you were before, you know, moving a little bit further and yet, you know, kind of returning to what you were before. And so I think that that notion of having, you know, your orientation, here's the place where we are. And then disorientation is often, you know, something that I think is explained to us as being um, scary or bad or um, something to fear. Mm. But in my experience, our disorientation is almost always an invitation from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It will definitely be unsettling. It's confusing. Almost all the time there's grief. Yeah. There is something that has invited you where the answers that used to make so much sense and your way of understanding the world and the neat and tidy box where you liked to keep God and poke carrots through the cages just explodes. And that's your season of disorientation. The things I used to know are gone. Yeah. Um, and then if you are 
you know, attuned to that, if you are open and honest with that, I think a lot of times when people encounter that, the first instinct is to like want to run really, really hard back to what you knew before. Mm-hmm. And that's when you'll hear people say things like, well, it was a lot easier before when I could be a black and white thinker. Yep. <laughs> you know, it was yep. so much better before I started questioning yep. people <laughs> and my yep. Bible or yep. church or whatever else. And so that's, I think, the invitation of disorientation is to say, what does the Holy Spirit have for me here? What is it, this new and different and deeper thing that I'm being invited into? The wilderness is almost always a place of deep intimacy with God. And it's because of your disorientation. It's because you've been stripped of your answers. Yeah. And the things that you used to control outcomes or yourself or the people around you or even God. And then oftentimes you find there's a reorientation that happens. You get your mm-hmm. feet under you again. You feel like you've you know, got a new vantage point. You have made peace with where you've been. And you understand that this is now something that is going to continue over and over and over and over again in your life. Yeah. Yeah, like a corkscrew, sort of a cycle that keeps going. Maybe the corkscrew right. grows up, maybe it goes down, who knows. But there's multiple orientations, disorientations, and reorientations. And I think they even can happen, you know, they can be happening in an overlapping kind of way, don't you think? I mean, um, you don't just get done with disorientation and graduate to ori- to reorientation. Right. <laughs> you know? It would be nice if you got a certificate. <laughs> It'd be sweet. Um But, you know, one of the things that I uh, have found, like I found myself saying this thing, or maybe I stole it from someone, I probably stole it from someone, but, um, you know, because there's a tendency to look back on your previous orientation, and you look back and you feel silly, like we were just talking about it, you know, sort of the ways in which we felt silly about praying. And I think that's totally natural. But then there's another way where where we can really look uh, down on others who are in where we were. Um, and so I, I found it helpful to say like, don't look at that as like you, you left it cause it was bad. You graduated from it cause you no longer needed it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you think about that so that this movement or as our faith evolves, doesn't turn into, um, a way to judge folks who aren't where we are. That is a really, really important question right now, I think, Um, especially because so many people are shifting, whether it's politically or in how they read scripture or how they show up in the world. Um, And so I think that to me, the invitation um, in this place is almost always, is it, is it creating something in you that looks like what, you know, Paul would call, or what we would call the, you know, through the spirit? Is it making you you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness? And even I hear self-control, but there's this element of, okay, I don't think this anymore, or I don't do this anymore. And now I do this other thing. So I'm super right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, really certain in this thing. And the thing is, is you haven't changed actually being a fundamentalist. Right. You still have that same mindset of being like, I'm right, they're wrong, us versus them. And that's actually the, the shift that has to be made is not changing opinions and changing certainties or or changing and 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 who you're judging or changing who you're mad at, or changing who you're better than, as much as it is being able to understand, um, I think, the shift away from that sort of thinking, 
right? Yes. Towards one that is more loving, that is more just, that is a, a peacemaking faith that has room for not only all the people with whom you disagree, but your old versions of yourself with whom you disagree, <laughs> and a way to forgive uh -huh. and bless and even be grateful for yeah. the gifts of those things because they brought you where you are. Um, and so I think that even that shift is like, God, just, you know, save us from becoming a more progressive fundamentalist. That right. does nobody any good. Um, it's got to be leading us towards more life and flourishing and goodness and justice in the world and, and even forgiveness and, and goodness towards ourselves. And thank you for adding that forgiveness and goodness toward ourselves, because, you know, maybe some of us, um, do some inward judging, but we're not, you know, crazy on Facebook, <laughs> bemoaning everybody else, but we certainly have no compassion for self. You know, we, mm -hmm. we, we, we certainly judge self. Um, what are some, what are some ways that you've learned to be more gentle with yourself, Sarah? Um, these are good questions. Um, you know, I think that one of the primary shifts for me happened when I began to embrace um, and recognize and honor God as mother. Yeah. That was a, a huge thing for me. And, mm -hmm. you know, I know that a lot of us have baggage around God as father because there were difficult relationships with, you know, their father or there was, you know, a perception of that as being authoritarian and controlling and, you know, whatever else. But beginning to reset and embrace and welcome the maternal in God um, and beginning to kind of see the tenderness and the care um, of that, I think maybe this maybe resonates more with me because I have been mothered well not only by my mom, but by other women in my life. Yeah. But also I'm a mom myself. I have four children mm -hmm. and I can see the energy of what that looks like towards my children. Um, and so that's where it comes into things like, you know, how you speak to yourself, how you care for yourself, um, how the invitation is not to more numbing and more shame and more guilt, but to be more fully yourself to care for yourself like a mother would care for their dear, beloved, most precious child. Mm. And then a lot of times our invitation is to let God mother us, I think, in that way. The voice of God as a very tender and kind and loving mother um, is transformative. And it doesn't have to be the voice of your own mom, if that wasn't right. what her voice right. sounded like. Right. You can just even pick one. You can pick someone whose voice makes you feel that same uh, same way and begin to, to understand and hear that voice of God, and I think, in that play. Oh, I love that. And it kind of reminds me that, you know, there's certainly our biological family that we don't choose. Uh, or I guess, um, is that the right way to say that? Anyway, um, the mother and father that we were given. And then there's also spiritual mothers and fathers that we uh, can come into our lives and, and be the voice that is gentle where we didn't receive gentle voice, maybe a gentle voice from our biological mom or dad. Mm -hmm. um, I think we that's even a need huge a gift. That's so true. We even need a few saucy aunties in there. We too, do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's probably a few reflected in this book that you've put together. Um, <laughs> a few saucy aunties, and maybe you're one yourself. Um, okay. So at, 
I, I want to ask you, I, I didn't ask you this before we started pressing, before we pressed record, but I want to ask you now, and you can feel free to say no, but would you be willing to read a couple of poems that you particularly are drawn to, or even just, you know, pull open your book and, and read the first poem that your finger lands on? Um, but would you be willing to do, to read one of those right now, Sarah? Yeah. Um, you'll have to give me a second to go and see what I have here. For sure. That. You can believe it. I don't even have a copy of the book yet myself. So. Oh. The way that the, uh, the borders are right now, it's hard to get things shipped over. So I've got like actual pieces of paper. Right. <laughs> Was there one you were thinking of in particular that you wanted to hear? Yeah. Well, or I mean, it would be maybe even a, a, a good thing for the folks who are listening. Yeah. The one that I thought of you wrote and um, it's called like, um, learning how to love the world again or something like that. Am, am yeah, I saying that right? To learn to love the world again. Yeah. Yes. I remember that one. Can you read that one? I sure can. Let me go and find it here. You know, I wrote this one um, as part of uh, my work at the beginning of 2019 because I wanted that to be, or pardon me, 2020 actually, if you can believe it. Wow. <laughs> uh, to say, what does it mean to love the world in particular? Yeah. Um, that was what I felt a really strong invitation towards because I don't know oftentimes if we can love the world in general, just like we can't really love people in general. There has to be a specificity yes. and particularity. Yes. And that particularity and specificity allows you then to love in a more general and big way. It feels yeah. like the invitation is there. Yep. Um, I love that. So this one is a prayer to learn to love the world again. God of herons and heartbreak, teach us to love the world again. Teach us to love extravagantly, knowing that it may, it will break our hearts. And teach us that it is worth it. God of pandemics and suffering ones, teach us to love the world again. God of loneliness and longing of bushfires and wilderness, of soup kitchens and border towns, of snowfall and children, teach us to love the world again. Amen. Mm. Yeah, I was drawn to that. And thank you for explaining the particularity of, of love, you know, um, and, and that is so important. Um, and this huge... <laughs> expanse called the globe in which we um, live and breathe and do our actual our actual loving and living and and dishes and all those things anyway that was a beautiful poem um so i, I want to ask you a couple of questions about sort of if you are willing to engage them or indulge them and they are big but take your best shot sarah uh what do you what do you observe happening in global Christianity these days. <laughs> I know it's, it's, I mean, I thought, am I going to ask that? But, but I really do want to know, and you don't have to, you know, nail the answer, but right. just as you see it, just your first, you know, like almost mm. like think about it like a, like a, you know, your first five things that you think of when, when I ask that question. You know, I, that is a really good question right now. And I made a joke about it earlier about praying in the midst of apocalypse. But the thing that I feel like I have seen most clearly in, you know, definitely in the last number of, of years, maybe five years or so, um, the word apocalypse actually means unveiling yep. or revealing. And so it's 
not, you know, necessarily four horsemen and blood red moons, which, you know, whatever, <laughs> but it's more this sense of we've been revealed Yeah, that there has the things that have been hidden in darkness have been brought to light. And I think that we have seen the devastating consequences of that in our churches. I think that in our communities and in our neighborhoods and in our countries and in the world, we have seen um, just how clearly um, things have been broken for a long time. Yes. And I think that the revelations of abuse of power, abuse of vulnerable people, of um, nationalism and white supremacy and homophobia and transphobia and, you know, power hunger and, you know, these kinds of things. It's, it's been devastating, I think, to realize um, the depth of the unveiling that we are, are experiencing right now. Yeah. So that's true. But at the same time, I can see that there is a refining fire to that. Mm. And it's the people who continue to hope in the midst of apocalypse while still welcoming it that really have captured my heart right now, um, my attention, um, the ones who are still contending for hope, who are contending for goodness and for justice and for shalom and peace in the world. Uh, I think there is a tremendous amount of invitation there even as the things that needed to burn away are burning away. Yeah. They have been revealed and it's okay to let them go. And a lot of times that means that there are new invitations to us. Sometimes surprisingly, those invitations are to ancient paths. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, this smaller remnant or this um, deeply sincere and earnest hope that I can see from the people who are not ready to stop contending for what they know about who Jesus is and the good news of the gospel, who are ready to um, confront and name and not just call out, but dismantle these powers and principalities that have dominated for far too long. I think that this is the invitation to the work, but it's also an invitation to a rhythm mm -hmm. of what that looks like um, for each one of us. And, you know, I don't really know where it will end up. I don't know what new thing is being birthed right now. It definitely does feel like we are transitioning. And it feels like it always is at the point when you feel like you can't keep going anymore that something new is born. Yeah. And that's my hope right now is that something new is being born. Thank you. I find myself emotional at that. So thank you. Thank you. That's a good question. And um, I think it's even worthy to name what we're hoping for and to admit even our disappointments and our grief and our anger yeah. and our loss in the midst of all of that. Um, I think that's, that's sometimes maybe the most courageous work we can do. Yeah, I think hanging on to hope um, cannot be divorced from looking deeply in the face of reality and all the darkness that exists. You know, in fact, not only can it not be divorced from that, it needs to, it needs for it to be real hope. I think it needs to 
look fear and darkness right in the face. Um, that's how I would interpret what you just said. Uh, I don't know if I did that right or not, but no, I think that's true. I mean, I think yeah. that that's sometimes the, the lie that you've been told or that we have been told is that, you know, these things only exist in isolation. Yeah. I mean, I think it was Walter Brueggemann who talked about how you don't get to have hope without grief. Yeah. Because only if you have, this is my paraphrase, yeah. <laughs> only if you have grieved, only if you have admitted that things are not as they should be, why would you even be able to turn towards it, imagining how it could be? Yeah. You need to have deeply grieved in order to begin to hope. You don't get there without that. I agree. And unless you have your, your voice lacks any kind of authority, you know, if it's just, I mean, there, there is a tinny sounding hope, you know, that these days I, I think it doesn't pass must much muster. And, and that's, I think that's why I got emotional when you were talking about it, because it holds all the authority of someone who um, has faced down the darkness of reality. So, and I know you have, um, do you see yourself as a pastor or a prophet or a, what do you see never. yourself? Yeah, like what do you, I mean, never to either of those, of those things? Not really, no. I mean, maybe that's a failure of my own imagination, but I've, you know, I've, I really do see myself um, in my work, in ministry and writing and all those things. I've really struggled with the notion of like, I don't know. I see myself as someone who's alongside of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I have a word for that, but no, I've never, I mean, I certainly never felt called to, to pastor. I look at people who pastor and I just think, God bless you. Like, I just, that's hard work, <laughs> such hard work. Um, yeah. I think I've always just seen myself as someone who's alongside of people um, and not necessarily, you know, anyone you should put up on a pedestal or, you know, put between you and Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I ask because uh, you certainly, well, it's no secret to you. I mean, when Rachel died, um, I think people looked to you and maybe still do in ways that are understandable, but also probably are unfair and I remember you tweeted and I just, you know, I'm not, I just don't even do Twitter anymore. I just can't. But so this was a, a year or I don't even know how long it was ago, but you said, I can't be Rachel, but I can be Sarah, you know? So I think, and you said more than that, but I, that's why I ask is because you're public enough to where people want you to be something that, you know, Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you are, um, but maybe you're not. And anyway, I've just, I wondered how you have wrestled with that. Yeah, I think that that's, that's something I think that a lot of people encounter at some point is the expectation doesn't match up necessarily with what you can do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And in that, you know, particular instance, uh, Rachel was remarkable and exceptional and her, the way she could lead and speak to current moments. Um, God, I, I miss her for a million reasons every single day. Um, and I think that 
it would have been a disservice to both of us to somehow think that, you know, I, that could be replaced. Yeah. It, it simply can't. And I think that letting the whole exist, letting the yeah. longing and the loneliness exist, even as a form of honor. Mm. Um, and also the invitation then is, then what's the work that I have to do? Yeah. It would be really nice to say that, you know, Rachel had this mantle of anointing and someone else gets to pick it up and walk on with it because, I mean, that would be great. But at the same time, I think there is this sense of we all have good and important and necessary work to do in the world and it's yours to do. It's not, um, I don't know that always it has labels or names or, you know, sometimes it can function differently. You know, Rachel and I used to joke that, um, you know, she was like the the head logic person and I was like the squishy heart person in our, <laughs> our friendship and partnership. Yeah. And, um, and so I miss that, you know, I miss, yeah. I miss that dynamic a lot for sure. Um, but the invitation then has been, what's your work to do now? Yeah. Well, you know, as weird as it sounds, it's a very universal moment to experience actually. I mean, we, most of us have that moment. You know, it might yeah. not be a loss of, of someone through death, something as stark as that, but it, it might be, well, it's another threshold moment, I think, where we come to look at ourselves and say, and ourself asks ourself the question, will you be who you are? You know, mm -hmm. and maybe that happens. Certainly it happens more than once, but anyway, thanks for speaking thoughtfully to that. I really didn't plan on asking that question. It just, <laughs> it just was. No, that makes yeah. That makes sense. And I yeah. think that even, you know, that was one of the things that I loved most about Rachel, which maybe goes back to why I laughed at your initial question of, do you see yourself as like a prophet or a pastor? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, that was always one of the things I loved most about Rachel um, was how she was always really suspicious of people who, you know, believed their own hype. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> I think yeah. there's something really necessary and good about not believing your own hype. So <laughs> that's yes. part of it. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Um, okay. Well, I'm looking at the time and we, we got to wrap it up. Can I ask you like two or three sort of like quick answer questions? They don't need to be quick. I, I'm more just like, don't, don't feel pressure to sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, answer something super profound, but, uh, what's one thing you're saying yes to these days? Hmm, that is a good question. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to say yes to right now is, um, is making things. Oh. That's, that's, a that's been one for me right now that useless things that nobody needs, Yes. <laughs> that just are for the joy of creating things, whether it's, you know, cooking a meals yeah. or um, I'm a knitter knitting, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, making things art, uh, creating things going, you know, flowers, like whatever it is, mm -hmm. gardens, plants, yeah. like just, I think there's something really tactile and incarnational and necessary and homemade goodness. And so, yeah, I think that one of the things I'm trying to say yes to more is not, letting everything be professionalized yeah. and letting things be a bit messy and go ahead and make it make, make the thing. I really like that. Uh, my sister got into knitting this Christmas and she, 
she knit my dad this like um, skull cap or like beanie or whatever you call it. And it was gorgeous, but she spent like 30 hours on it, you know? And I was yeah. so, and I didn't know she was doing it, you know? So there it was on Christmas, you know, I saw the picture of it and it was like, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> that is so, yeah, it, at this time, especially what happens to your own soul when you just spend time making something. Uh, yeah. That's good. I like that. Okay. What's one thing you simply have no energy for these days? Oh, <laughs> the list is long. <laughs> yes. I can't say that I have a whole lot of energy for arguing with people online. At oh, all. yeah. Yeah. Like, I just, you know what? No, I'm just, I said what I said, you mm -hmm. know, go be mad somewhere else. Like, I'm not here to, to debate all the things anymore. I think at this point, too, just, I don't know. I just am not here for having a whole lot of nonsense. Maybe that's my crone beginning yeah. I'm in my mid forties now, so I could feel the croneness yeah, coming emerging. to me. And I'm like, listen, my my capacity for you know nonsense and foolishness is rapidly decreasing. <laughs> so well, for sure, that. especially online. And I mean, you know, I think sure. Are there occasionally good dialogue that happens back and forth online? One hundred percent for sure. But if I were to take the energy, like if it was a has, have I received more energy and done more good online arguing or have I been stripped of energy and done more bad? I know. I, I, I know how I would answer that question and it's not even close, you know, so. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think you're right. I mean, I see a lot of people who seem very like energetic and good at it and I know that they do good work and I know that it's also really necessary work yep. oftentimes, but you know what? Go with God. It ain't my work. Well, yeah. <laughs> your work, right? And so, yeah, please, yeah. listeners, don't don't hear, please don't hear us or me saying, because Sarah didn't say it, but please don't hear me saying your work online isn't important. It is. Um, and it can be yours. It just maybe doesn't have to be mine. Yeah, you know what? I had my uh, I had my bluff called on that because I'll I mean now again of course being who I am I can always figure out six other viewpoints to everything I just say. But I remember hearing I want to say her name was um, Megan Phelps Roper. She wrote that book Unfollow, and she had grown up in the Westboro Baptist Church, and she was their social media person, and her job was to agitate online. Yeah, and people agitated back. And questioned her and pushed her and that turned into friendships and relationships. And she ended up kind of embarking on this really beautiful and healing uh, journey out of um, that kind of, um, you know, religion um, to one of, you know, freedom and, and, and wholeness. And it all began on Twitter because people... People went to the mat with her. Yeah. And so, you know what? For all the people yep. like me who say I'm done with it, you could very well be doing God's work by yeah. uh, by confronting or, or calling out or whatever else. So. Didn't Nadia Boltzweber um, interview her on her podcast at one point? I feel like she did. I, she must have. She probably did. Because you know, that is very, that just, I haven't read the book, but I, when you were recounting her story, I thought, no, I know that story. So, and I think she did, but. Yeah, I uh, read the book and it was so good. And okay. Yeah, actually, now you say that I'm, I'm pretty sure that Nadia yeah. was, was uh, interviewed her as well. Cool. Okay. Uh, last question. The title of the book is, is beautiful. Rhythm of Prayer, a collection of meditations for renewal. So what do you mean by renewal in your, what, what does that feel like for you? What does renewal feel like? Um, 
I think that the word renewal for me um, in all of this really was um, because I see that a lot of us are weary. Yeah. Yeah. That we're really tired. <laughs> and a lot of times it's when you're most tired that you could rest in someone else's prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times we need someone that will lend us a bit of their hope. Um, that we can maybe not have faith for this thing for ourselves, but someone else will loan us theirs. And there can be some unexpected resurrection mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Um, some reawakenings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when you look at the moment in time that we're in, um, so many of us are tired. So many of us are have you know really been through a tremendous amount of even trauma, yep. uh, loss, and sorrow and grief. Um, the idea of renewal isn't that all those things become untrue. Mm. It's that you get a chance to carry them with you into this new day and let them shape you in a way that is life giving and flourishing and for the um, good of the world, but also for you and what that might look like. Mm. Thank you for that. That's delicious. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Sarah, um, of course, we'll put on the show notes how people can follow you on all the social media outlets that you're on, as well as links to buy your book, A Rhythm for Prayer, a collection of meditations for renewal. Uh, are there any other, like, uh, I know you do, uh, you do a newsletter. Um, how, how can people follow you and your work? Well, if people just go to sarahbessie.com, you'll find links for evolving faith. Um, my books, um, field notes, follow me on social media, all the, uh, all the fun things. So that's, that's probably the easiest, you know, kind of hub to get you wherever you need to go. And in case you are new to Sarah, Sarah Bessie is spelled S-A-R-A-H-B-E-S-S-E-Y.com, right? Did I say that right? So Sarah with an H, two S's and an E, sarahbessie.com. Sarah, this was delightful uh, for me. I, I, I came in today tired and almost saying like, oh gosh, do I have to engage, um, you know, do I have to engage with my heart and soul? But you made it so easy um, because yeah. you're a delightful presence and person. So thank you for indulging my my, my questions and um, and just for being being you. I, I, I appreciate you from afar. I really do. So thank you. That means, that means a lot to me to hear, Steve. Thank you. All right, Sarah. Uh, have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. Brother Steve, take care of yourself. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook, uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.